Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild Card Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Friday, April 23rd, and we're talking about a cybersecurity company that just went public. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined by Fool.com's key kid of not knowing non-new news, Brian Feroldi. Brian, I, I like what you did there with the K in the end. That was a nice you like switch. that? Yeah, I was I was really hoping it was going <laughs> to mess you up, but yet again, failure, Dylan. Uh, you know... You succeed in so many other ways, Brian. <laughs> um, we are we are on today. Uh, we're talking about another uh, prospectus, and, and really, this is, this is a company that is already public, which is nice. So, if people are interested, uh, they can start kicking the tires on it themselves. And this is no before. And Brian, I'm particularly excited about this one because it's in a space that we haven't spent a lot of time talking about in the past. Yeah, this is a company that's focused on cybersecurity from a different angle than a lot of the companies that are publicly traded cybersecurity companies. And one reason that we really haven't touched upon this is cybersecurity is an extremely complex area. There are dozens, if not hundreds of companies uh, working on the topic, and you really need specialized knowledge to, to go deep on those companies. This is not an area that I feel super competent. Yeah, me neither, honestly. I mean, it, it's it's been a tough space. And I think there are a lot of people who have been so excited in the mega trend of cybersecurity, right? Seeing all the news about hacks that are coming through, understanding the huge reputational and financial damage that can come when your uh, security is breached. But it, it's been tough, I think, investing in a lot of these businesses. Some have been good performers, but there have been a lot of businesses that had a lot of hopes in this industry that, that haven't necessarily turned into great shareholder returns either. But on the flip side, there have been some mega winners on the market. I mean, CrowdStrike, uh, Zscale, or Palo Alto Networks, this is definitely an area to get to know. What's really fascinating about the company that we're talking about is I think they're approaching cybersecurity from an entirely different angle. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And we'll, we'll get into that in a sec. I think I just want to give a couple quick details on the business for, for folks that are listening. Uh, the, the company is no before. And for Avril Lavigne fans out there, they have taken the skater boy approach to naming themselves. It is K-N-O-W-B-E and then the number four. Uh, and the ticker, Brian, is K-N-B-E. That's correct. That's probably the thing, as we're going to get into that I like the least about this company, is the way that they have named themselves. Uh, the rest, there's a lot to like. And this is a company that uh, IPO'd uh, earlier this week. Uh, they did price at about $16 per share, raising $140 million. Stock currently trading about $22, $23. So it's up from its uh, IPO price. That's a good start. Yeah, and and I'll say, you know, for that pop, you know, a lot of management teams like to see a little bit of excitement. They didn't leave a ton of money on the table. You know, it's it's in the grand scheme of IPOs that we've seen over the last twelve months. Um, this was this is one of the better priced ones, at least, uh, for how much enthusiasm there was around the company. Totally, totally agree. I, I this is a company I wouldn't want to be trading at thirty <laughs> or forty or fifty post uh, IPO. So yes, management here did leave some for public investors or those that got on the IPO, but they definitely raised at a seemingly good price. Yeah, and and for their part, I mean, we're going to get into this when we talk about the financials, but nice for them to raise cash, not something necessarily needed to do. And and there's a lot to be excited about with this business. Uh, and, and I think the financials are really going to bear out why we're excited and why we think this is an interesting company. Um, I, I think at core, when I started reading through this, this prospectus, Brian, and reading about this company, I was reminded, I don't know if you know this acronym, uh, EBKAC. Have you heard about this? 
It's it's a it's like a common tech support acronym, and it's error between keyboard and chair. <laughs> and what it means is the human is the problem. That that's basically the the short of it. It's kind of a tongue in cheek joke, and and I think that that's probably one of the best ways to frame how this company is thinking about cybersecurity and what they are really offering to their customers. I think you just nailed on a really key point there. Historically, if you look at how companies, how enterprises have protected themselves, it's with technology. It's it's finding the best product center on the market and deploying those products to keep their systems safe. However, all of that technology is useless if the people that are using it make their password one, two, three, four, five, or if they take sensitive data and they email it to somebody, or if a phishing email gets through to them and they click on it. There are so many ways that the human can basically make their cybersecurity technology obsolete. And that is a, that is a problem that Nobefore is trying to solve. Exactly. doesn't matter how good the tools are if they aren't being used correctly or if the training just isn't there for the people that should be using the tools. They're kind of useless. And, and that, that's kind of the crux of what this company is trying to help solve. Um, and it's, it's really better training, better awareness, um, and, and really making the best use of all these systems that companies have in place by making their workforce aware of what they need to do. I love mission-driven companies, and this company spells out its mission right at the top of its uh, of its S1. Uh, their mission is to enable employees to make smarter security decisions every day. Uh, this company was actually founded in 2010 by Stu Showerman, himself a cybersecurity expert for years. I love this quote that he had in the founder's letter. He said, when I started No Before in 2010, I'd been in cybersecurity for 15 years. Through that experience, I realized that despite the billions of dollars that were spent on security products, more often than not, it was a human letting the bad guys in. I love that. Framing the problem right from the get-go. Yeah. And, and what I have noticed, Brian, is there have been a lot of very successful fool investments um, and, and fool universe stocks where the company started with someone who knew a space very well, recognizing a problem and trying to find a a way to solve it elegantly for themselves and then also broadly for the industry. This seems to check that box. I totally agree. I mean, we can talk about Wix. They've done something like that. Shopify, they've done uh, something like that. Zoom, they've did exactly like that. It's an entrepreneur sees a problem that is not being addressed by the market, creates their own solution, and then sells it to other. It's very much in that spirit here. And I love how this company says they are focused really on the ABCs of security, awareness, behavior, and culture. Those are three areas that not many other companies focus on. That's right. And and I think, you know, a big part of that is informed by the fact that the, the CEO Showerman has been in the industry for a long time. He's got decades of experience in this space um, and, you know, decided that I think in this most recent act of his over the last uh, 10-ish years or so, this is where he wanted to focus because this is where he saw an interesting opportunity. Um you know, there are some benefits to being first, and we'll get into that a little bit as, as we talk about where they sit in the landscape. But this feels like a pretty unique offering in the grand scheme of cybersecurity. Yeah, again, we'll get into the business model in, in a little bit and their focus. But what I really like here is, again, they are focused solely on the human. They're focused on training employees and making employees better at cybersecurity themselves so that when that phishing email gets through or when that phone call comes through, they are less likely to give out that sensitive information. That's a critical part of cybersecurity that, to date, hasn't really been addressed. 
It hasn't, and I think the problem is only getting worse, Brian, <laughs> because uh, you know we we see that there is uh, you know just just look at the headlines when it comes to breaches. There is a large large reward for people that are trying to figure this stuff out and trying to trying to hack into businesses. Um, it's become a cottage industry in and of itself, and with people being far more decentralized, us not working in offices right now. Um, I, I think that there is even more of a risk for companies with this because it, it's harder to keep tabs on what your employees are doing and make sure that everyone is following the correct security protocols when everyone's working from home. That's exactly correct. And that problem, as you point out, is only going to get worse and worse. And they actually have some interesting statistics in their uh, S1 that are worth highlighting here. Uh, so their Center for Strategic and International Studies estimates that the global total cost of cybercrime is one trillion dollars. A recent study by uh, IBM Security found that the average breach cost a company $3.86 million. That's in direct cost, but there's also reputational costs uh, that could be, uh, could be at risk here. So getting this problem under control is a serious matter. And there's going to be a lot of money pouring into this space. Uh, a, a lot, I think, a lot of corporate clients looking for really good solutions. Um, and and I think that this is only going to become an increasingly more relevant part of how companies are looking at, um, you know, both both protecting customer data and and proprietary data, but also mitigating risk. Totally. And that's exactly what Nobi4 does. Now, the way they do it is they are deploying a software as a service a business model. And their products uh, currently fall into uh, three primary buckets. Uh, bucket one is called just security awareness. And these are tools that help a corporation to assess threats, uh, find uh, weaknesses, analyze their user behavior, and then train them through a series of over a thousand pieces of content that they have when necessary to uh, to make sure that they're not falling for these scams. Uh, bucket Product bucket number two is called security uh, automation. Uh, this is with uh, workflow uh, management. It helps with remediation. Uh, it helps to detect uh, threats ahead of time. The third bucket is just called governance, risk, and compliance. Uh, this helps to make sure your vendors are, are doing their job. It helps with uh, auditing. It helps with analyzing results, and it helps with assessing uh, risk. Those are the three primary buckets that the company's products fall into. Yep. And, and all of those make sense. They all work together really well. And, and when I see them laid out that way, Brian, what I hear is basically the value of working with a certain provider is enhanced the more they can understand exactly what's going on in your ecosystem and, and really all of the different moving parts. Uh, that seems good when it comes to customer retention. It also, to me, signals that there's probably some optionality with this business in being able to layer in new services, new offerings uh, as they identify customer needs. That's one of the things that we're going to get into later in the show. This is a land and expand model, and they've done a pretty good job uh, thus far with uh, with landing, and just an okay job uh, with expanding. Currently, only about 14% of their customers subscribe to multiple products. On the one hand, you might think that's not a lot of success so far. On the other hand, that's a lot of opportunity for improvement. Yeah, those things are always a matter of do you want to take the pessimistic view or do you want to take the optimistic <laughs> view? Because you can you can look and say, you know, this this doesn't seem compelling to me, or you can look and say that's that's a massive opportunity if they are able to prove out their value. And and this is so often what we talk about, particularly with software solution uh, products, is prove out the value and the spend's gonna be there. 
That's exactly right. And more importantly, when we're talking about this platform, uh, this company has been identified as a leader by numerous uh, th third parties. So uh, first off, Gartner and Forrester have called out Nobifore as a category leader. Uh, their company's app, Nobifore app, was the num was in the top five most downloaded in 2020 for uh, Mi Microsoft Azure's Active Directory uh, product. And they are also regular features in Okta's 2021 uh, security tool report. So this company has gotten a lot of accolades from the industry. Yep. And it might be getting a lot of accolades from investors. There's a lot to like with this business as we start keying into some of the numbers behind this business model. No surprise here. I think listeners to some extent know if we're going to start talking about a tech company, we're probably going to be getting into, are they a subscription company? What does the subscription business look like? In this case, yep, we have a subscription model. So, so everyone following along at home, you knew exactly where we were going with this show. <laughs> Listeners, if there's not recurring revenue, I will fight tooth and nail to make sure we don't talk about it on the show. So don't be worried here. Uh, basically, 100% of this company's revenue does come from subscription uh, base. Uh, no Before currently has over 37,000 uh, unique customers. Uh, that was up 22% over the, the prior year. As I said, only about 14% of them are using more than one product at a time. That does leave plenty of room for growth and they charge on a per user per seating uh, basis. They have numerous tiers that range anywhere from as low as $4 uh, per month up to $31 per month, depending on the size of the organization. But it's a land and expand model. They, they get a company and the more, uh, the more employees that they can push to this training program, the more money this company makes. Yep. And we have seen the top line steadily grow for this business. Um, if it sounds like an early stage, high growth business, uh, you're exactly right. We're, we're looking at a top line that grew over 40% uh, recently. And just to kind of give a sense of context here, we're talking about about a $4 billion business, Brian. So certainly in the early stages and kind of nicely in that mid cap space. Yeah, I love the size of this business, $4 billion. It's not like where this company came public at a $40 billion uh, valuation. And the numbers are, are pretty darn uh, impressive so far. So in the fourth quarter, the most recent quarter, uh, total revenue was 100, uh, uh, excuse me, for the most recent year, total revenue was uh, $175 million. That was up 45%. If you look at uh, ARR, annualized recurring revenue, at, and basically take the fourth quarter revenue and put that at a run rate, uh, annual, annual recurring revenue was $198 million. Uh, Dollars that figure was up 36% uh, over the prior year. The rest of the income statements looks pretty good too. Uh, gross margin here 84.7%. That figure was up from 83% over the prior year. That's stunning. Now, the company is not profitable, at least on a gap basis. They are spending heavily uh, to grow this business, especially on sales and marketing. That is their biggest spending category uh, so far. They're also spending on on overhead and not that much on on R and D to be uh, to be to be frank twenty million dollars on on research uh, and development but you add all that up and this company did produce a gap net loss of two point four million dollars last year. However, if you just look at free cash flow in twenty twenty, the company reported thirty seven million dollars in free cash flow and has been free cash flow positive since twenty eighteen. And since coming public, the, their post IPO balance sheet has two hundred and twenty eight million in cash zero debt. Financially, very strong. Very strong. And if you look at the liability section for this business, you're going to see a couple big line items and they're just unearned revenue, which you know, for this line of business, you kind of expect to see. Uh, and those are, those are pretty good liabilities to be sitting on, Brian. Um, you know, particularly when we're seeing what looks like 
pretty loyal customers and you know, a gross margin of 85% is a darn strong business figure. Especially when that figure is still rising and uh, and could continue to go higher over time, especially if they have success uh, upselling their customers to more products. But man, is that a good starting point? We mentioned uh, CEO Stu Showerman. Just want to give some background on him. Classic look at the management team here. Um, it, it's kind of an interesting pedigree for Showerman. He was the co-founder of a uh, company, Sunbelt Software, uh, which had won many awards. It was kind of an anti-malware and software business. Uh, and that was acquired in 2010. Um Always nice to invest alongside, uh, you know, someone who has a track record of success. Uh, we mentioned before, been in the industry for a while, um, a veteran, and kind of understands what to do, what to uh, grow businesses, and also I think to just build a successful one. You know, um, and what I was most encouraged by Brian is looking over at the Glassdoor reviews for this business. I mean. Uh, it's it's about as good as I've seen for a company that we've done an S one show on recently. I love it when you have a wait what moment when you're researching a stock, <laughs> and this one definitely clarified. This company gets 4.7 stars out of five on Glassdoor. Uh, the CEO has won numerous uh, best uh, best CEO awards, and 98% of them approve of him uh, as CEO. Those numbers are outstanding. Yep. And we've seen them win awards. Uh, they've been on Glassdoor's 2021 uh, Best Places to Work list. Also in the top 10 in 2020, there is clearly a supportive culture here that employees like. We always like to see that as investors. Um, and if you're looking for the skin in the game, Showerman owns just under 4% of shares outstanding, which is good for about an $100 million stake. Mentioned it before, he has already taken a business to the point where it's been acquired. My hunch is that he is in the, I don't need to do this to, uh, to live <laughs> phase of his career and is doing this because it's a problem that he likes solving. Um, that, that can be a very successful uh, management style to invest alongside. Yeah, not only that, but if you look at just the executive team in general, uh, they own uh, over 6% of this business and their chief hacking officer, a guy named Kevin Mitnick, who is uh, infamous in the uh, security industry because he was actually uh, convicted of cybersecurity fraud and had to go to jail for a little while. Uh, books have been written about him. He is involved with this company as the chief hacker officer, and he owns 7% of this business. So there is some good skin in the game here. There's kind of a Frank Abagnale arc there. Uh, catch me if you can, going from being black hat uh, to to being white hat, um, and that's that's cool to see. I mean, if you're operating in the space, you need people who know how to get around these things to be helping you build out systems and and create educational programs, um, so that the average person who's far less sophisticated knows what to be looking out for. It's just the reality of it. Hey, and if nothing else, free marketing, because he is somebody that's kind of infamous in this space. So him being involved uh, is a positive. It is. Yeah. Um, and, and I think when I take a step back and look at everything we've talked about so far, Brian, this looks like an incredibly investable business. There's, there's a lot of things to be excited about here. The financials look really good. Love seeing companies in that 2 to $10 billion space. The accolades, both for the corporate culture and what we've seen, just the track record with the management team really strong. I think there's also some interesting growth opportunities for this business. We talked about the tailwinds and just the sheer amount of money that's going to be coming into here because it is such an important part of how companies do business. There's also, I think, some opportunities for them to move into some adjacent markets and expand internationally that, that create a pretty compelling investment thesis. 
Yeah, the, the, the bull case here or the long-term growth story here is based on many of the principles that we see in lots of SaaS companies that we talk about. Uh, number one priority, add new customers. They're clearly doing a good job of that. They grew their customer base by over 20% in 2020 and now have 37,000 uh, total customers. Uh, number two, upsell those customers on more products and services. They have done a good job about make, making more customers subscribe to more than one product over time, but there's still a long way to go there with only 14% of current customers subscribing to more than one. Uh, number three, international expansion. Uh, this company has only been around for 11 years now, and while it has started to develop a presence in international markets. Uh, international sales are only 12% of total revenue. So they see big potential for this uh, in international markets. Uh, finally, they hope they call up uh, striking up new partnership uh, opportunities and allowing for uh, for cross-selling opportunities. Uh, currently, they do have some partnerships in place that help them to uh, get new customers. And they did note that about 38% of sales in 2020 were derived from these partnership agreements. They hope to do more, especially as they expand into international markets. Uh, when you take all of that into consideration, uh, this company currently sees its addressable market opportunity at over $15 billion. If that's anywhere close to correct, that means that it's currently tagged about one percent of its opportunity. Yep. That's uh that's another point in opportunity, right? Brian, it's like we were talking about before. You could say it's only one percent or you could say it's only one percent. <laughs> and, and and both of those things are true. It's all about how you frame it. Um with the international expansion, I was doing some reading on this before we hopped on. Uh, I, I do think one of the things that we'll have to keep in mind with this business is like they are going to have to pretty heavily localize anything they're doing for markets that they're looking to expand into. And some of that is just the uh local specific ways that that uh, hackers might be trying to access some of it's the language and the nuance of, of you know how people are going to be framing this kind of stuff so there's there's so much market opportunity in the United States alone that it's an exciting business but I think the the rollout to separate markets it's going to be somewhat country specific um, and they're gonna have to kind of figure out well, which territories are worth going after um, and prioritize them accordingly just just because not everything from one space is going to transfer to the other that's exactly right, which is why I really like their idea of coming up with some partnerships opportunities to do this. And when their when their gross margin is 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 so high, that gives them lots of room to reinvest to make their product all more localized for 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 different areas. So it remains a massive opportunity for the company. Yeah, and you know one of the things that we always like to see is okay, sounds great, Brian. Like. <laughs> what what do I need to know here risk wise? Are there are there supplier concentrations? Do we have customer concentration? Is there a lot of money pouring into this space? Um, these are typically the boxes we'll check. And again, I, I think we were pleasantly surprised when we started scrolling down to that part of the S one. No customer concentration risk to speak of. No supplier customer. No supplier concentration uh, risk to, to speak of. Uh, having said that, I do think there are some risks for investors to watch. Uh, to me, number one by far is what if this company gets hacked? What if one of this company's own employees is the source of, of that hack? I mean, talk about a black eye that, that could be sitting out there if that happened. That would be a massive, massive uh, PR nightmare, PR fiasco for this company if that was, uh, if that was to, to happen. Uh, the other risk to keep in mind is that growth might not be as high as some investors were, were hoping for. Uh, if you rewind the clock three years or two, two years to 2018, this company was reporting 53% growth in its customer base last year. 
year, that number was only 22%. Uh, you would have thought that COVID would have been a pretty good tailwind for this company, like it was for many other SaaS companies. Again, that's just customer growth we're talking about. Revenue growth was much higher than that, which shows they're getting more revenue per customer. Uh, but is there the chance that this company might not be growing as fast as growth investors would like? Uh, that's a risk. And then finally, there's just there's just valuation risk, like we've seen for, for any company. This company is currently trading at about 22, 23 times uh, sales, and, and there is free cash flow, so we can actually compute that number, and it's right around 100, 110 times free cash flow. Those are certainly high numbers that are pricing in continued growth, so if that growth failed to materialize for whatever reason, look out below. Yeah, and putting it in the free cash flow sense is interesting. We don't do that too often, Brian. I think most people are, are used to hearing us talk in a you know price to sales or, or price to earnings um, you know valuation shorthand. And you know if, if you're looking at those slightly more conventional metrics, you know we, we said it before, but uh, by the end of the year, about 200 million in in recurring revenue. Um, we were looking at uh, just under 200 million in trailing 12 month revenue. So with a four billion dollar valuation, you know you ballpark it's it's something about 20 times, a little bit more than 20 times sales that we're talking about here. Not outrageous um, if the margins stay intact and the growth story stays intact. Um, to your point about you know client growth though. We always like to see the number of clients going up and the spend going up, right? Then you have two levers that are fueling your growth, and you can you can enjoy acceleration sometimes um, if you really nail your offerings. Uh, I think one of the things that they might write into, and it might affect their their customer base growth, is just having to educate the market a little bit on what they are bringing to the table and why this is something that companies need to spend on in addition to all of the other stuff that they may already be spending money on in the space. Yep. I think that's a big reason why this company is currently spending so heavily on sales and marketing. Again, when you are approaching a category as this company is from a completely different angle, that's great because the competition might not be as fierce and you have greenfield opportunities. On the flip side, the market is not pre-educated uh, on this category. So you do have to do a lot of spending upfront to, to almost build demand for your product uh, as you go. So investors should probably expect that sales and marketing number to be really high for a while. Now, on the flip side, when you, can, when, you, when you think about that, they are really the top dog in doing what they are doing. And since they are addressing this from a completely different angle, one thing that I really like about this company is that it is non-rival with all the other leading cybersecurity companies. It's not like if you have CrowdStrike or Zscaler or some other cybersecurity company that you're not going to go with no before. This actually complements those products. It doesn't compete with them. That is awesome. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, it makes it a lot easier to get buy-in from other players in the industry. Um, it might be helpful for them in, in you know, locking down partnerships and stuff like that in the future as well. So, I mean, I, I, Brian, I got to be honest. When, when I was doing my homework on this, I was kind of surprised that there wasn't more on this company. I, I don't know about you, but I was looking for the articles. I was looking for the coverage, and you know, just on first glance, seeing what we what we had in terms of top line growth, margins, the space it's in. There was kind of an uh, an underwhelming amount of coverage on this business. Underwhelming amount of coverage <laughs> equals opportunity for us, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's right. And you know, it's kind of fun to get one that uh, a ton of people haven't talked about before. Um, I, I'm curious, having been through everything now, having having kind of walked through the entire business, where does this one sit for you? Uh, is this a, an immediately investable idea, a watch list thing, something you're watching just because it's an interesting industry, or or something you're kind of saying, eh, like the, you don't know if this is for me. New IPOs are always tricky because one of the things we highlight on the show is uh, 
great culture, great management team, uh, right? Those things can change when a company comes public. That's always a risk to watch. We also don't know, is this company going to have a beat and raise kind of culture? Are they going to do a good job of meeting Wall Street's uh, expectations? We don't have any track record uh, there to go off of. What's the post-IPO dilution going to be like? It was pretty mild last year. The year before that, it was really high. What's this company's What's this company going to be like with doling out stock-based compensation now that it's a publicly traded company? We don't know a lot of the answers to those questions. With all that in mind, wow, am I interested in this company. This might be something that I buy basically as soon as I'm allowed to because it checks a lot of the boxes, if not almost all the boxes that I look for uh, in an investable idea. I really like that it's only a $4 billion company. I really like that it's playing into cybersecurity from an angle that I can understand. So this company is very high on my watch list. How about you? Well, you know, I think I am a user that that would probably benefit from this business. <laughs> you know, I, I think it's 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 easy if you can see the use case to see the investing case, and and there are just you know things that I know as an internet consumer and, and someone who I, I wouldn't say I'm sophisticated, but I think I'm probably slightly better than the average person online. And yet, I mean. I am sure there's a lot that I would learn going through a lot of their systems um, and a lot of their modules. And so, you know, I I see the case. I love that they're not directly competing with a lot of the industry incumbents. I think that makes a ton of sense. It is a top of the watch list type stock for me. Um, I I love the company culture too. I think that that's one of the most impressive things. Like we got through the financials, and I was like, this is an interesting business. And then you start seeing the the glass door reviews and the way that people talk about working there, um, and that really you know gets gets you bought in. Yeah, I think so. So this is going to be one that I'm, I'm going to enjoy doing a follow-up show on in a couple of months to see how they do with their first earnings report at the very least. Yeah, we'll definitely be coming back to this one as we have some earnings releases. Uh, and I'm excited about it. I mean, I think one of the fun things over the last year, Brian, has just been we've had so many interesting ideas come public. Um, a lot of nascent tech, a lot of spaces that I think people are a little hungry to put some money into because they see the headlines. This is one of those businesses I'm going to be excited to circle back on it. Ditto, right there, right there with you. Brian, thanks so much for hopping on today's show with me. Anytime, Dylan. All right, listeners, that is going to do it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or you want to reach out and say, hey, shoot us an email at industryfocus at fool.com, or you can tweet us at mfindustryfocus. If you're looking for more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show. The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. It's no buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for all his work behind the glass today, and thank you for listening. Until next time, cool on.